1: Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon.
2: You're rocking the baby blues in support of Argentina. Congratulations to the national team for winning the World Cup. I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, the January 6th committee
1: approves criminal referrals against former President Donald Trump for his role in trying to overturn the 2020 election. Nick and I will react to some of the committees hearing that if you may have missed it yesterday, no worries. We got you covered here on this program. You know that. Uh, And later on in the program, uh, speaking of a story that maybe you missed last week or maybe you don't follow it from the world of finance uh, with Sam Bankman Freed, the FTX owner getting arrested and you want to learn more about cryptocurrency and all of this. Is it funny money? What is it? Right. I don't know. Nick doesn't know. So we brought on somebody, Emily Flitter, fantastic New York Times finance reporter. She joins us in the next segment. She's going to talk about everything that happened with this case, some of the parallels between this. And a story from the 90s of somebody else trying to con people into billions of dollars to eventually buy a sports franchise. More on that later on the program. First, I say hello to Mr. Severi. Nick, how you doing, buddy? I haven't talked to you in a while, but obviously you you just got back from vacation. So we haven't really recorded too many episodes. We're about to go on holiday break. No new episodes uh, post this episode that dropped today. Um, so how are you doing? What Any plans coming up for the holiday break?
2: Yeah, just just a lot of time with family. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm fortunate enough that I get the I get the week off from work next week, uh, and I've definitely reached the age where if you ask me for what I want for Christmas, it's it's time, it's time with my family, it's time to relax. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, um, really excited for the World Cup final yesterday, um, and an even crazier ending to the Raiders game yesterday, which was uh, just as entertaining to watch. I've watched that from the uh, <laughs> the different radio calls of it from different networks it was it was funny um, and i get another gift from the raiders we got raiders steelers at steelers christmas eve um, on nfl network so i get a chance to I get a chance to watch that and then we're going to be away next week so we're going to take another vacation this one's a little closer to home so we're we're excited to get some time away again with the girls kick back relax you know listen to some uh, some of our earlier episodes get ready for the new year i'm really excited for um, again there'll be more reveals to all of you soon as to what's going on behind the doors. Of, can we please talk? But um excited for where that's heading to. And you know, in our own way, we get a chance, you and I get a chance to celebrate, just sort of exchange pictures and what's going on with the family. But as I bring you into this conversation, Mike, what about you? You and the family. How are you all getting ready for the holidays and the plans for the holidays? Well, I mean, if you can't hear it in my voice right
1: now, I'm playing a little hurt like Jordan in in 96 here in 97 season. Um we've been battling the flu here. Uh me and my little monsters here and my wife as well. The flu has ravaged the Leon family. I, I posted a photo on, on my IG. If you don't follow me on Instagram and I titled it the flu fighters um, for people that were interested to see that. Uh, I thought it was funny when I posted it, um, but it is true. Like it's just gone through us. Listen, I don't want to advocate more than I, we already have on this show for the medical community. But um, first of all, shout out to your wife for some of the help that she's done uh, guiding us through some of this, but also, go get your flu shot, folks. Like, there's no other proof than right now. Me, my wife, and and my daughter are sick. We may have to take my daughter, uh, my my oldest one, to the hospital. The youngest one actually got the flu shot. She's the one that's fine. So, <laughs> you know, so what's that Meatloaf song? Two out of three ain't bad. Well, three out of four ain't bad. Uh, so anyway, I leave it there. I, I wanna I wanted to bring up something before we get into the Trump um, uh, criminal referral that that played out here, in the January sixth committee. I thought this was interesting, and I wanted to bring it to you. I didn't tell you about this because I wanted it to be fresh, so you could kind of react to it. But I was listening to Conan O'Brien on his podcast. Conan O'Brien needs a fan, needs a friend. Excuse me. He had Michelle Obama on. They were talking about um, the media and how news media and how negative news media is, right? And like how slanted it is sometimes to be so. Divisive and, you know, like really just the rhetoric and 24-7 cycle. So I started thinking to myself, yes, some of that is true. Some of that is true. There's, you know, parallels. We can make the analogy, you know, like if you go outside and on one corner of your house, you see a guy robbing a lady and all of a sudden somebody tackles him and holds him down and the cops come and arrest him. Then on the other side of the street, you just see a young man helping an old lady cross the street. I mean, which one do you want to find out more about? Well, the news is going to flock to the one on the left, not the one on the right. That's the parallel I would make. Yes, one is negative, one is positive. But again, which one would you rather cover? I mean, which one would you rather find out more about? That's a rhetorical question. But then I heard, uh, if you don't know, Andrew uh, Callaghan. Andrew Callaghan has a new series coming out on HBO. It's called This Place Rules. And for a summer, I think in 2020, 2021, he went and covered like extreme... A right-wing uh media uh did interview with alex jones where the two of them don't have any shirts on it's this crazy documentary that's coming out uh around i think around this week later this week on hbo and so he goes on cnn and he's you know promoting the film and he kind of says something very similar and i want to get your reaction on this take a listen to this
2: the movie's not just about like the the capital right and all that it's also about like media echo chambers you know what I mean? And like the dangers of the uh, 24-hour news cycle and how I think mainstream media like Fox and even CNN like competes for views by running constant 24-hour news cycles based upon fear, division, outrage and panic, probably to like sell ads. So it's not just about the capital riot. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, first of all, I don't agree with what you're saying. But I'm not exactly sure of how that played into people going into the Capitol uh, and rioting on January 6th. Um, there's nothing fake about CNN. Oh, not, I'm, not, I'm sure. not saying like fake news. I'm just saying ramping people up and increasing division during that period of time.
1: So he, make, he makes a couple of interesting points. I want to give the news perspective first as somebody who's organized news segments uh, for a living once upon a time. Um, just as we're recording this right now, I have a news program on. The graphics are the same from one show going into the next show on the bottom. They're all covering the January 6th hearing. Um, the first segment, uh, if you people don't know this, let me take you inside a television production. There's a system and a tool that they use, producers, PAs, graphic producers. Everybody uses this tool called NPS. All right? NPS is where you build the show rundown. The show rundown Will have images that will be over the shoulder things that, you know, that could be used when the anchor's talking or even full screeners or if there's a sound on tape that they cut to. Everything's preloaded into those. And so most of the time when you're in a 24 7 cycle, a lot of that stuff gets copied over and thrown into the next hour. Like, what are we going to start the top of the show with? Well, we led this show with XYZ on January 6th. Okay. So we'll start. This program with X, Y, Z from January six. And then they're just swapping in different commentators on it, either paid contributors or people like myself and Nick, that just come on the program and give perspective, right? One way or the other, or journalists or things like that, right? It's kind of like the same playbook. So in his in his comment there, I get what he's saying about twenty four seven and continuing to amplify and maybe creating messaging because you keep running the same thing over and over and beating a drum. Like What I would recommend is maybe you move that stuff further down in the blocks. They call A block, B block, C block. A block's the top of the show. Maybe move that down to later on. People have already gotten that from the show previous, but the producer's thought process, the the television network's thought process is new audiences coming in. Some people don't stay over, which is Fair and accurate, so it's broken. But I'm curious to hear what you think. It's just somebody who consumed news journalism, major, you know, had a stint in local radio. Like, what, what do you make of not only Andrew's comments there, what I mentioned about Conan O'Brien, and is the media? Because we're going to get into this and the media's coverage right now of the, what our first segment will be about with January six. What do you make
2: of uh, of all of this? I hate the player, hate the game. I mean, it's yeah. so. The currency that you're that you just talked about are eyes and attention. You know, earlier today, me the radio person, I'm listening to um, it was a program on ESPN Radio, and they were talking. They were interviewing a, a former NFL GM, and I kid you not, every time it was two hosts. Every time a host would come back on mic, talking to the same person, this guy did one segment with them. Every time they would come out, come on, and reintroduce the guest annoyingly so i mean cuz the questions are not very long and you know they go back and forth but every time it's you know former nfl gm so and so joins the show and you know to the listener who's listening for a few minutes you you hear that and you're like i know who this is you don't have to repeat that to me every few minutes but the reality is if you study the metrics in listening in radio that at any moment someone who jumps on is there for the first time. Perfect example. A couple of weeks ago, I was, at a, I was at a convention. I was at the New Jersey Education Association Convention down in Atlantic City, talking to, uh, to teachers, school leaders about the work we do at Educate, just as a way to better understand the needs of schools in New Jersey. Now, if I'm talking to someone about what we do, and someone new walks on over, do you honestly think I would just keep going and not engage that new person and stop introduce myself kind of bring that person quickly up to speed with what i've been talking about with this other person or would i act as though i'm just going to keep going and the other person will follow along that that doesn't work now that's a, a live in person con- example and it, but it's true in radio you always have to assume every few minutes you have new eyes here you know i feel like we talk about and, maybe one day we got to get him on the show, Um, Professor William Solomon at at Rutgers University, who was uh, a professor, I think you and I both had for uh, media and history, but had talked about that when you go to a for-profit model in news, this is part of the reality of it. You're in the business of getting people's attention. I really like the example you led with, you know, crime on one side, person walks someone across the street on the other. Yes, the story on the right, is good to know. It def- there's, a, there's something to be said about positive reinforcement, but the one that's going to draw people's attention is the former. And that it sounds condescending to say that, but it is reality. You know, in a 24-7 cycle, this is going to happen. Now, the other side to this too, I'll, I'll talk about You know, analytically, is that we've gotten into a difficult place where you can't separate, I think many people struggle with this, separate news from editorials. In a newspaper, when I open the newspaper, a digital one, at least, I can tell the sections I'm reading. I'm going to the politics section, it's a section of Washington Post. I see you know, Sabrina Rodriguez is reporting. I know now, granted, I've talked to her on this show, obviously, and we're friends with her, but I know that when Sabrina's writing a story, it's fact-based because A, I know who the author is, but B... I know the section I got that from the newspaper. When I go to the editorial section and it tells me who the paper is supporting in a local election or whatever, I understand that this is the editorial. We've talked about this ad nauseum on this show. When you turn on television, and this is not me demonizing television, no offense, Mike, um, but this is the problem. When a talking head is talking at you, even if they're reading from a script or reading from a prompter. It looks like they're talking to you. You know, at the advent of television in the 50s, what drew people in partly was the fact that here are these human beings, you know, living out of drama, but I'm seeing it. I'm there. Fast forward, you know, 70 some odd years later, and we're still doing this. How many people see someone on television as an actor and then run into them on the street and are like, I love your role? Or they they really connect with this person because they connect with the role. We can't separate fact from fiction. Our elections are telling us this. The way we engage with one another tells us this. You know, And again, I'm going to sound like the old person, you know, the get off my lawn person, but this was the beauty of newspapers. It's very organized in a way that as the reader, and not to mention that reading from, a, from, a neuro, from just a neurological standpoint, seeing words and trying to interpret and form opinions in my own head, my own understanding, is a more cognitively engaged activity. Than television, which is far more a passive activity, and if you think I'm wrong on that, go study anything in neuroscience about the difference about the way your brain reacts when you watch something versus when you are in or reading it. I would argue.
1: Uh, before we go into the segment here about January six, I would argue that not that many people watch the news. There's 338 million people that live here, right? Um, the biggest show on the cable news networks has 3.2 million people watching it. That's like that's less than 1% of the population. Okay? So like um if if we're taking that, if we're just using straight data, 99% to 1%. A lot of people don't watch traditional news. They consume it in bite size, right? Whether it's through their Twitter feeds, something that they saw maybe on TikTok that gets posted from the news channels, it shows up on your feed or something like that. All these social media apps and all of these news agencies are pushing out content in smaller bite-sized things. Nobody knows that better than us. We do that now. We do that now with reels. We just had a congressman out. We post that out. There's a minute 40 of him talking about you know the transit strike and what he's doing with Senator Sanders. That was a 20-minute interview, right? We're trying to give you a morsel to get you to come in and have a full meal. It's the free samples that you get at the mall court. Um, And so the thing for me is, is that I think to Andrew's point, I don't think that many people are watching all the time. But what I will say is that because it's a television screen. So when you think about waiting rooms, airports and whatever, and the graphic stays the same and the chyron stays the same and there's no sound that could conjure up feelings of negativity. And I get that standpoint. I, I truly do. I think the media, like we've had other journalists and on-air anchors that are across the networks. We've had them on this program. They've all said the media has a role as well, but it's up to you to understand what it is you're consuming uh, as a consumer. You need to understand who's the host, who's the commentator, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line. Uh, we leave it there because I want to get into real quick uh, well, not real quick, because okay. it feeds in perfectly because January 6th, right? And the way the media has been covering this, I just mentioned it right now. If you put on any of the news networks, uh, except for maybe Fox News, they're all covering January 6th and everything that happened with the committee having their final hearing today. And the committee uh, made a motion, I believe, uh, some referrals, excuse me. Four referrals uh, to the Department of Justice regarding former President Trump and his role on January 6th. The four uh, criminal referrals were obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy to make a false statement, incite, assist, or aid and comfort an insurrection. Take a listen to a little bit. If you didn't watch the hearing, a little bit from the hearing.
2: This committee is nearing the end of its work. But as the country, we remain in strange and uncharted waters. We've never had a president of the United States stir up a violent attempt to block the transfer of power. I believe nearly two years later, this is still a time of reflection and reckoning. If we are to survive as a nation of laws and democracy, this can never happen again. How do we stop it? This committee will lay out a number of recommendations in this final report. But beyond any specific details and recommendations we present, there's one factor I believe is most important in preventing another January 6th, accountability. The first criminal statute we invoke for referral, therefore, is Title 18, Section 1512C, which makes it unlawful for anyone to corruptly obstruct, influence or impede any official proceeding of the United States government. We believe that the evidence described by my colleagues today and assembled throughout our hearings warrants a criminal referral of former President Donald J. Trump, John Eastman and others for violations of this statute.
1: Just a quick note for people who are not legal beagles. Maybe you don't listen to legal podcasts um, like I do. I love I love the legal podcast. We love Ellie Honig here too, the, the third degree. You can check out his pod. But he mentioned it uh, on a note to the cafe community last week. Criminal referrals. I mean, you and I can make criminal referrals right now to the Department of Justice. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't hold any weight. It doesn't mean that the Department of Justice will take it up. Or it doesn't mean that they won't take it up. Uh, and uh, Eastman said in a statement Uh, A criminal referral from a congressional committee, a referral was in air quotes, is not binding on the Department of Justice, carries no more legal weight than a referral from any American citizen, like I just said. In fact, a referral from the January 6th committee should carry a great deal less weight due to the absurdly partisan nature of the process that produced it. If if you're not on Truth Social, speaking of a divisive uh, social media app, uh, Nick, um, Mm -hmm. the former president obviously released a statement on his uh, social media app called Truth Social, responding to some of the stuff from the January 6th committee. He said, these folks don't get it. When they come after me, people who love freedom, should I do my impression? I'm not going to do the impression. Uh, People who love freedom rally around me. It strengthens me. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Uh, To quote, I think Kelly Clarkson, Uh, Americans know that I push for 20,000 troops to prevent violence on January 6th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went on television, told everyone to go home hours later. Uh, and then he went on to call the uh, the FBI, the Democratic Bureau of Investigation, et cetera, et cetera. And then he said at the end, by the way, I won convincingly double jeopardy. Um, Nick, what do you make of, we, we've been watching a lot of the hearing, uh, all the hearings that played out over the summer and stuff like that. And obviously this is the last one. This is it they kept changing their mind when they were going to have a last one here and there. This is the last one. Now they're turning things over to the department of justice. Um, Hated that it took this long. They took almost a full calendar year when they've had some of this stuff, buttoned up. I'm sure they have their reasons, but what do you make of everything I just said there and the clips we played and the former president's response?
2: I feel like I'm in a um, time machine. Uh, I, you know, as someone who's a fan of American history and, and, and global history in general, um you know, I feel like this is back in say eighteen sixty, somewhere between eighteen sixty five and you know, eighteen seventy-six. Um yeah, you know, we're at the precipice of making a decision what we want to do as a country, specifically the Justice Department. You know, after the Civil War, uh through Reconstruction, and we've had you know, at least two people on this show talk about where Reconstruction failed uh, this country. Um, it was, you know, in that time to bring people accountable and to have safeguards in place to prevent what happened uh, with the secession of the Confederacy and the, the advent of the Confederacy in general uh, from ever happening again and to try to in- ensure that Black Americans would be able to hold public office, would be treated like citizens, the 13th Amendment being enacted and such. And in the end, you know, politics won out and essentially Jim Crow was instituted and Southern states and states individually could decide for themselves uh, how they want to treat their citizens until the Civil Rights Act in the 1960s. And that thus ends the the lecture portion of this show. Now, um, I feel like we're going right through it again. This time, the Justice Department can decide what they want to do. You know, if I were a betting person, I'm pretty sure John Eastman is going to federal prison. Um, But again, that's just conjecture um i i don't want to get into a conjecture place and i'm sorry because i'm like kind of i'll open up here a little bit um i feel like i know where this movie is going to end up and i'm going to be disappointed i think for everything that the committee has brought forward i think you can make a very good sound legal argument that donald trump should probably be in prison um and this country really struggles unless it is a Well, unless it's, you know, caught with a gun on Fifth Avenue shooting someone, right? Right. Um, Can you name a powerful white person that in this situation who was not caught with the proverbial smoking gun did time for it? I mean, Bernie Madoff, like, you know, I mean, committed a crime like he was caught in the end, right? You know, they got Al Capone on tax fraud or not paying his taxes, I believe. Um, I, I think the committee has tried to generate the smoking gun here. Um, but I don't know where this goes and I'm sorry, Mike, because you were bringing this to me is like, just sort of my take on all this. And that's what I'm trying to give you all. But I, I, I come at this, um, sounding a little disappointed because I just feel like I, American history tells me where this is going to end up. Right. And the people who probably should be punished are not going to get punished. And, and it just saddens me because I think we're going to repeat the same thing. And, you know, we just saw this with Carrie Lake. She, it's the same playbook. She loses the election to Katie Hobbs. And then what does she do? She cries, well, the election was stolen. These election machines don't work. Like Trump has instituted that now. And the question is, if the Justice Department doesn't do anything or they decide to take the low hanging fruit and go after people other than the former president, what does it tell other people? Like tomorrow, you know, Steve Bannon is going to be right on his show saying the same nonsense he should be allowed to, obviously. But. And like, you're going to have more and more politicians doing this. So as a country, are we going to grow from this? Are we going to learn from this? I don't know. Um, I'm fascinated now because now in the, in the coming weeks, what does the attorney general want to do? Because it looks like the committee. And I swear to you, Bob Mueller did the exact same thing with the Mueller report, right? Puts this report together, puts it forward and says, listen, it's not on me to do something here. My findings are telling you that Congress can do something. And what did Congress do? They punted. So now the Justice Department gets their version of this. And the question is, well, what are you going to do? Meanwhile, you have a special counsel who's also looking in. So I, I feel like in some form or another, the Justice Department is going to triangulate this and say, well, we're gonna, now going to wait for Jack Smith and see what his findings are. And it's just going to be muddied. And in the end, I don't think you're not I, the hope of this committee was to try to prevent, at least this is what I heard, another January 6th. And the only way you will do that is to punish the person who brought this on. And it's just not going to happen.
1: Listen, uh, there's a reason why the saying, uh, it's all politics, uh, is always, it, it, it plays to any industry. And you're seeing it here play out in actual politics and in the law. Uh, shout out, again, we mentioned Eli Hilded before. But Ellie hasn't actually, Ellie actually has, excuse me, a new book coming out called Untouchable How Powerful People Get Away with It. It's coming out in January. He'll be on the show to promote that in January. But um, it's a fascinating read. Again, as somebody who worked at DOJ, saw powerful people get away with certain things and lawyers negotiating uh, whatever it is, uh, more on the book. But for somebody like that who has, You know, the authority to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. And he has seen powerful people get away with it. I'm thinking of this Law and Order episode where the guy uh, incites everything. I think it was uh, an episode where they did something to mirror Alex Jones. And the person incited all this stuff. You know, he gets charged with something very frivolous or at least not. So grounded in legal standing. And he gets away with it. And he gets out of the courtroom. And I forget what happens. Maybe uh, you know somebody shoots him or something like that towards the end. I forget. But it's literally Law and Order takes what plays out in real life and they bring it, you know, into a show format. You don't need to do that here. That is probably what's going to happen. We saw what happened on January 6th. We saw the rally. We heard the rhetoric. And now the question is: what happens? Because anyway. The Justice Department falls on this after the independent council and stuff like that is going to look politically motivated by one faction on the right hand side. And then the left hand side, if nothing happens, are going to be irate. We're not, you know, we're not punishing. We're in charge here and we're not even doing our jobs. So you you win. It's a lose-lose. There is no win for either side. We leave it there. Uh, When we come back after the break, uh, Emily Flitter, fantastic New York Times finance reporter, she joins me and we talk about the FTX stuff. If you don't know anything about cryptocurrency, get ready, get ready, write down cryptocurrency, Binance, FTX, billionaires, all of those keywords with Emily Flitter from the New York Times when we come back after the break.
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
2: This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation.
1: The presenting sponsor of Can We Please Talk is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world know how much nick and i drink coffee we love it here i'm a k cup guy nick's that french press guy over there uh right nick you're a french press guy
2: i am but i've also used a a chemex i've also used a percolator like most people do yeah but regardless of your type of grind fresh roasted coffee's got you covered in addition to single origin blends mike's a columbia person i'm a sumatra drinker they've also got a variety of flavors you also get sampler packs too i'm all about the sampler packs but most importantly let's say coffee's not your thing if you're a tea person Mm -hmm. they got you covered too mike they cover all their bases so go there and learn about your your learn about your coffee style you go there to a three four question quiz you'll find out what coffee is recommended for you so you're learning something in addition to buying something but as a listener there's an additional benefit for buying from fresh roast coffee look at this man this man sets up the softball
1: i hit it out of the park it is true um if you take that questionnaire that's on their site it's awesome and it gets you right into the flavor profile that that matches you best with the coffee that you should be buying but you want to enter a promo code at checkout put all that stuff into the cart there Enter in the promo to- promo code, excuse me, can we get 20, can we get 20? This offer is valid for new fresh roasted coffee and positively tea customers. You're going to get 20% discount on any and all coffee and tea unless otherwise specified. Code is not valid for branded merchandise or coffee gear. One use per customer. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right. You know, Nick and I have been talking about this FTX uh, stuff that's been going on and all the news that surrounds it and the arrest of the founder and nobody better to break this all down than Emily Flitter. She's a New York Times finance reporter. She joins us here on the podcast. Emily, Mike Leon, thank you so much for hopping on the pod with me.
0: Thank you for having me, Mike.
1: You know, Emily, um, truly nobody better than you. I've been reading a lot of your articles and a lot of the coverage that the New York Times has been doing about you know the founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, getting arrested uh, in the Bahamas. And I think for our audience, especially for me and Nick, because neither of us invest in cryptocurrency or an FTX or anything like that, can you give a 30,000-foot view of what has played out over the last couple of weeks with the company going bankrupt and then their founder ultimately being arrested?
0: Sure. So, um FTX was a cryptocurrency exchange based in the Bahamas that had a reputation that was almost larger than, well, I would say arguably larger than it deserved. It was a small exchange, but its founder had a huge public presence. His name is Sam Bankman-Fried. He ran a sort of an empire of cryptocurrency trading. Through a hedge fund that he had started called Alameda Research. And then he started these this cryptocurrency exchange that the public could access after he had already been doing Alameda for a couple of years. So the reason that he had this really big public profile is that he presented himself as a multi-billionaire who was dedicated to amassing as much wealth as he could just to give it away. And um He basically built from that concept an entire persona of being the responsible crypto billionaire, the uh, crypto billionaire who wanted to reach out and bring the industry into legitimacy by working with regulators and working with U.S. lawmakers to develop a legal framework for regulating crypto. Um, That turns out was all a fraud um and nobody really kind of pointed a finger at him there were actually if you look back there were kind of discussions about how such and such an aspect of his business didn't make sense but no one called him out for being a fraud what happened was uh somehow the news outlet coin desk which focuses on covering crypto got hold of an internal piece of FTX's balance sheet and published it and for the first time the world saw that this place was a mess it owed billions of dollars to other lenders and to customers and just didn't have the money that's that started the collapse that article came out right at the beginning of the nove- of November and over the next week the company fell apart sam bankman-fried went to his rivals and asked for a bailout um, at one point, the owner of the biggest exchange, Changpeng Tao, um, who goes by CZ, actually we would pronounce we would say his name Zhao Changpeng. Um, he uh, was going to buy the pieces of FTX at one point, their assets, and then he looked. Uh, he and his team looked closely at the books, and they realized that it was just an absolute mess, and. The hole in the balance sheet was too big and they walked away. Sam Bankman-Fried couldn't raise the money and it collapsed. And immediately authorities got access to the books and they started looking and they realized that um, he had been really um, just outright lying about what was happening inside his company. So what we saw yesterday in the charges was that he was charged with fraud. It's really simple. He was collecting money from customers who thought they were sending their money to FTX to trade on the platform. Their money was going into bank accounts that were controlled by the hedge fund Alameda. And Alameda was basically just taking as much of customer money as it wanted to, as Sam Bankman-Fried wanted to give it, and trading with it, paying back lenders. That almost had a Ponzi element to it. He was collecting new money from customers and and giving it back to older financial interlocutors. So that's, that's what happened in a nutshell. And the collapse of FTX has really destabilized the entire industry. um, And everyone's kind of waiting to see what's going to happen next.
1: Well, I'm glad you just gave a fantastic summation. Uh, Again, as somebody who is not well-versed in it, um, I, I really learned a lot there. And as you started talking I thought about uh, in the sports world, a team that's near and dear to my heart, the New York Islanders, once upon a time, had a, a famous owner that there's a 30 for 30 documentary about a Texas businessman, John Spano, who had th- maybe a few thousand dollars, but somehow found a way to get investors to invest in him and ultimately buy a sports franchise. And then it was found out that he had no money, bankruptcy courts, this and that. And so I'm starting to think about You know, kind of the parallels there. So, I want to ask you how did this guy convince so many people to invest in FTX?
0: Well, first of all, I am so excited that you brought up John Spano. That is one of my favorite fraud stories because John Spano almost succeeded in buying the Islanders, he showed up out of nowhere he looked he acted like a billionaire and he told people he was a billionaire and everybody just took him at his word and then he started to try to like put these elements of a deal together that would have involved a bank of america loan and a comcast sponsorship and and all of those things together almost actually worked which was the amazing thing and i think the parallel here is sam felt at least based on his public statements, and he made so many public statements after FTX collapsed, um, he really felt like if he could just have one more bailout, he would somehow manage to stick all of these pieces back together. What's different, though, um, is how much money he was actually able to collect from people. um, And then... And lose. I mean, he spent it on uh apartments and you know personal expenses. FTX employees were taking out loans from the company using customer money. The loans were poorly documented, if they were documented at all. This is all according to what we found out yesterday. And um, so in that regard, for anybody who knows the Spano story, he did kind of live large at like one club in Garden City, New York, but he didn't, he didn't like spend billions of dollars of people's money. Um, The, the other similarity though, between those two cases is just how trusting um, reporters were of these two figures. John Spano talked a good game and no one said, Hey, wait a minute. Like we haven't seen proof that this guy has any money. I think it's really hard. I mean, I'm speaking as a reporter who has covered fraud for more than a decade. Um, Even if you, uh, I mean, actually, let me, let me back up. I don't think that we have a good excuse. I think we all should have been more skeptical, Um, but Sam did a lot of work. He hired the most sophisticated political PR firm in Washington to spam people with all this news about how FTX was helping, you know, achieve financial inclusion through crypto and helping un- unbanked people get access to the financial system. Actually, I just wrote a book about the uh about racism in the financial system called The White Wall and I can tell you crypto is not the answer and when I looked into that aspect of it, um which is not in the book, but when FTX collapsed, I found that the claims that FTX was making around this were particularly empty. Um, But that's all to say, he talked a big game. Um, he, He doesn't seem to even be able to admit to himself in public that he was lying right from the start. And I think he dazzled people.
1: Uh, I mean, it's it's fascinating. Again, I, I did not have that question planned out, but I am an Islander fan and I lived through that period and I started thinking of the parallels. Um, I want to ask you because I've seen so many larger than life figures. Uh, and I say that because I'm thinking of one in particular, Mark Cuban, who have been tweeting a lot about the stability of cryptocurrency, right? Continue to invest in it. I can't, I don't have his Twitter feed up in front of me, but. Ah, uh, given the bankruptcy of FTX, um, what is the future for cryptocurrency? For for people like Nick and I, we've made this analogy. It's it's funny money. Why are people investing in this? And then you see, you know, a story like what happened with with Sam Bankman Freed, and then uh, you see million billionaire, excuse me, like Mark Cuban continuing to maybe uh, put out trust out there about cryptocurrency. So, what do you see for the future, of it, uh, and why are people investing in it in the first place?
0: I think we should all be paying attention to what the people who are saying crypto still matters now have been doing for the past three years. And if they have a lot of their own money tied up into it, yeah, they want it to stay legitimate. I'm not here to make a call on that, on legitimacy versus illegitimacy. Um, I'm one person and, you know, I can't give an entire industry a thumbs down like that. Um I would uh say that there um if you look at the traditional financial industry I, I think it's going to be really hard to find um big institutional investors who want to put more money into it right now. Um who knows if more research in the future will come up with some reason to uh you know use these digital assets in a way that um makes more sense. I know that the um the the sort of people who argue in favor of crypto being legitimate will say you could use it to transmit money across borders more quickly. Even central banks think that there should be a way to allow money to be sent more seamlessly around the world. And some of them are working on developing their own digital assets. The banking industry in the US actually argues that money is already digital and we don't need to do anything new, like have a central bank digital currency. There are a lot of different things that could come out of this, but I think that um, there's no reason for people to continue a pace um, without extreme skepticism of the companies and assets that are out there because they have proven to be a gigantic bubble.
1: You know, you've been covering a little bit of, obviously, his arrest that just happened in the Bahamas. Um, What do you foresee to happen in this case? Because you you were talking about it before, about how he basically defrauded millions. There was people uh, within the company taking out loans. Like, where do we expect all of this to net out in the legal realm?
0: Well, he's facing criminal charges. He's facing civil cases brought by two regulators, the SEC and the CFTC those agencies are accusing him of um, fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud, manipulating the prices of um, of different digital currencies. He's facing a really serious bunch of legal cases. He's been denied bail because he was viewed as a flight risk. And um, he's going to have a hard time, I think, uh, finding leniency because he's really at the center of of all of this conduct and we also believe or i would say let me step back there's speculation and evidence out there that his former uh co-founders and top lieutenants have been cooperating with authorities the authorities have not admitted to that um So I can't say that for certain, but the way these cases get built is that you have an insider who explains to somebody how everything works. And I don't see why that the authorities wouldn't have been able to convince somebody to say, Hey, you know, you sit down and tell us what, you know, and we're going to make sure that our focus is really on the main guy. And the main guy is Sam.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm learning so much here because again, I, I have, been following more of the arrest and the subsequent bankruptcy stuff and things like that. And you wrote something in the in the New York Times article that recently came out that he did not expect this arrest. His parents had flown down to visit him in the Bahamas, and I was sitting there going, "He didn't expect to get arrested after defrauding people of millions of dollars. Like how how could that be?" But I want to ask you because you've been covering um, people in the financial sector for so long. Um, how how different? Is covering the the folks behind crypto than it is covering investors in traditional markets.
0: Uh, it's actually not that different. I just like we, uh, you know, agreed that this case sounds kind of like John Spano. I think when you get down to it, we're talking about the same kinds of behaviors that we see from people who are trying to get money from other people in a lot of different ways through the financial industry. I mean we have ponzi schemers we have oil and gas wildcatters who collect money from people to drill a hole in the ground and then they get to keep the money cuz you know they paid themselves some kind of management fee there are all kinds of scammers out there and sam was a scammer according to what we've learned from the authorities
1: boy it's it's a shame as some of the people that invested in this and and maybe lost money in this and what will happen and play out uh, in the legal realm. Uh, I want to give you some space. Actually, I'm so glad that you mentioned your book that's available now wherever books are sold. It's called The White Wall, How Big Finance Bankrupts Black America, excuse me. Um, I saw the book and I was very interested ordered it uh, last night on Amazon. so you got an order coming down here to Miami where I live. Um, uh, you're welcome and uh, but, but I'm very interested to read about it and I would love to get uh, for our audience here. We've had a lot of authors a lot that are over my shoulder here for people watching on YouTube that have been on this program. So tell the little uh, tell the audience a little bit about your book.
0: My book uh, looks at present day racism in the financial industry. There are a lot of um, people and companies out there who wanna say, yes, things were bad in the past, but we fixed them. That's not right. In the modern day financial system, black Americans still face disadvantages from the moment they walk into a bank, the moment they file an insurance claim, which I actually just wrote about again today. And um, the moment they try to get a job in the financial industry, there are these extra barriers and so my book actually walks through the different kind of sectors of the financial industry. We have wealth management, we have retail banking, we have Wall Street, you know, high finance, we have insurance, the role that AI plays in all of these things. I kind of examine each seg- segment and then the last section of the book is what can we do about this? And I argue that we need to actually have big companies support reparations and lobby for reparations from uh, the federal government. We um, can't get any farther than we are getting right now with um, achieving economic equality in this country if big companies don't acknowledge the harms that were done in the past and that are still being done and explain their roles in those harms to their own employees and to their customers. We have to get everybody on board. Um, And if you look at like these huge companies like JP Morgan and Amazon, for instance, they once, JP Morgan and Amazon tried to team up to fix the healthcare system. This was a couple of years ago. And they they didn't end up fixing the healthcare system, but they got a ton of press coverage. So if these huge companies would come out and say, you know what, we have been discriminating against people in all of these ways, and and so has as other every other part of the uh, U.S. economic system, and we need to stop and we need to make reparations, that's what I think would really bring about a big change. So that's what I argue in the final section of the book.
1: Well, it's uh, I can't wait to read it, and you can go order it wherever books are sold. Like I mentioned, it's called "The White Wall: How Big Finance Bankrupts Black America." You can see it there for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, shameless plug there for Emily, but good job by her in writing about something. You know, again, as as somebody who has uh, my father's black, uh, my mom's Puerto Rican, and and uh, some of this stuff has kind of crossed over into my world. So I. I'm very much looking forward to reading the book. Uh, you can check out all of Emily's work over at NewYorkTimes.com or download the New York Times app. She does fantastic work. She's a finance reporter over there. You have educated me and our audience, and I can't thank you enough for that, Emily. Continue success to you, and please stay safe.
0: Thank you, Mike. and. Uh- As a Rangers fan, I can't say go Islanders, but I salute you and uh, wish your team all the best.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And I do not wish the Rangers all the best, but but (laughs) I do appreciate that sentiment.
0: Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at Webflow.com.
1: All right, my thank yous there to Emily Flitter of the New York Times, a great finance reporter. You can check out all of her work at NewYorkTimes.com, download the New York Times app. Um, She's been covering a lot of this stuff, like she mentioned in the interview, for 10, 12 years, finance, crimes, things of that nature. Uh, Nick, what were some of your takeaways? You weren't able to join us on the interview and meet Emily. Uh, She'll be on probably sometime in the new year as as more of this story unfolds. But what were some of your takeaways about... The whole story overall it's it's so crazy the parallels that I made in the interview about what happened with that sports franchise that I love back in the nineties, and you know this guy pretending that he had money, getting people to invest, and she did a great job of you know bouncing off of the parallels and it sounds like this guy was doing that, and he just kept taking out more and more loans so he could pay back this, pay back that, but like something's
2: missing. what were your takeaways? Yeah I mean I think that in many ways that is the that's becoming partly the new economy in the country. I mean you know when we think about stocks, now stocks obviously you can trace back purchases, you know um, At the end of the day, what makes the value of stocks rise and fall is simply hype. I mean people know the certain trends, things move a certain way, and then the market reacts to that, right? you know we we were all familiar in your history books of the famous bank run in like 1929 when the stock market crashed. You know when people get a certain feeling, they act on it. And when people focus on these trends, they act on that. You know one thing I liked about her piece and the interview you 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 had was that she did a great job. It was funny I'm going to say this because I'm very critical of crypto, you know or, or as money refers it was funny money. Um but I did appreciate the fact that this was more conversation about about Bankman Freed than it actually was about cryptocurrency. I have all sorts of questions about crypto. I think any currency not founded on some kind of solid ground feels a lot like virtual currency. Like if you play NBA Two K, you know, you dump all your money into like you know player attributes and stuff, but it's not real money. Although you have to use money. To get the fake money, which is actually a parallel to her story. But this was about one particular person who, you know, stop me if you've heard of this before, had a certain cult of personality that got people to buy into him. We talked recently, um, you know, with a reporter about Elon Musk and what we've seen him be able to do at Tesla, at SpaceX, to some extent with Twitter. but it's it's these uh, it's these tech bros that have this unbelievable ability to really hype up people or to really hype up their stuff, and no one looks underneath to see if this is actually quality or not. And and I say tech bros because that all, often has a male connotation. But let's never forget Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. You know, in the story, in the interview, you both you know she shared that when people start doing some digging into Beckman Freed's in, you know stuff, you found that a two things are going on. Right? It's like this is actually basically supporting a hedge fund. Right, but at the same time, when you look at the books, there's not much there. If any of you've ever seen, I feel like I'm doing all kinds of parallels here, but that's the connection to the draw. If any of you've ever seen The Dark Knight, right, like that great Batman movie, at some point, you know, there's a, there's a scene where you know Bruce Wayne decides not to invest in a company because you know his guy is looking into the books and says, "Hey, something's not right here." Right, and now many companies do that. I'm just using a, an analogy of a you know movie millions of people have seen, but. That's what I. That's the correlation I drew here is, you know, the emperor has no clothes. And people, as they started to study this and paying attention to what bankman Free was was trying to sell, they realized this is junk. But again, if you are someone who buys into cryptocurrency, uh, and I don't know, Mike, if you have friends, we have a couple of mutual friends uh, who are crypto investors. You know, I I wish you luck. I mean, we saw market fluctuation with the GameStop thing a few months back. Like. You know, people are finding ways to game the system. That's always what this has always been, right? You try to f- create a new pathway to money. I mean, this is what uh, Gary Vee has talked about You know, between Ethereum, um, M- Musk as well, right? Like people are trying to find another way to avoid regulation of their finances. And I wish them luck, but there are going to be more folks like Sam Bankman free. There's always someone who's going to try to con their way to success. Yeah.
1: Well, there was a report that came out in in uh, Reuters earlier about Binance. You know, she mentioned on the interview about Binance looking into FTX's books, and you know, because he went to them originally to try to get acquired, and then now there's like a special report about Binance's books are like this black box. And again, she mentioned that the founder and CEO, I'm saying his name probably wrong, Changpin Zhao. Um, that re- this Reuters article, you can go check it out on the Reuters app. An analysis of Binance's corporate filings show that the core of the business uh, processes trades worth over 22 trillion this year, but it remains mostly hidden from public view. Look, I'm not a finance expert. I don't know that world. Emily does a great job. Uh, shout out to Emily. For joining us on the program uh if you want to check out the video portion of our interview that we did with her you can head over to our youtube channel type in can we please talk podcast subscribe to our youtube channel audio podcast platforms you know by now apple spotify google or everywhere please subscribe hit the follow buttons leave us a five-star review and comment please Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform, and shout out to all of you that listen, watch, write in some of the nonsensical comments you keep leaving on these YouTube videos. I'm, I'm cracking up over here. I love it. You know I'll engage. If you're getting an answer on social media from anybody, it's mostly me, folks, that's answering there. Uh, as always, I am Mike Leon.
2: Always proud of the work that we do with this show and, and just always. always leaving educated and entertained. Great interview by Mike and Emily and be careful with your finances, folks. I'm Nick Saveri.
1: We'll see everybody next time. Enjoy your holiday break. Like we mentioned at the top of the program, uh, no new episodes until the new year. Everybody enjoy your holiday break. We'll see you in the new year.